0: in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes I want to go into just a little bit of background as to what's going on here and what Paul is writing about to kind of help us kind of picture in our mind what what the problem is or what the difficulty is here that Paul is seeking to address. Again, remember, first of all, that when the early church met, the most common place for them to meet were in the homes uh, of other believers. Normally, it would be those who were better off because they had bigger homes. And that would be where they would gather and they would meet. It was also the custom, it is believed by most who... uh, write about church history that it was the custom of the church also at the time to always, when they gathered together, to eat a meal. They would come together for a meal and then at the end of the meal they would what we normally call communion, the Lord's table, uh, they would have that portion kind of set aside uh, to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So because these homes were normally the homes of those who were either high class or, or individuals who had more money, there was a room in which they would meet in to, to eat, and it was, it was the best room of the house. It was called the see so if I can say this correctly it's the tri- triclinium, uh, and that was where they would meet. But when they would meet, that would normally be the host's family and some of their, some of their friends. Now the church would be invited, but some of the, their friends would eat with them because that room didn 't hold a lot of people and so normally if you were of a certain class your friends were of the same class and that's where you would meet everyone else would meet what was called the atrium and the atrium would be a larger place it might be able to hold up to 40 people uh, but the way that the house was designed if you were sitting in the atrium with a bunch of people to eat you could see those who were in the best room you could see them it was done that way on purpose It was. Uh, done that way to make sure in most social settings that you knew your place. That you didn't belong there with the upper class, you were with the others. And then normally what would take place is the best food, the best wine, the best service would take place uh, in the triclinium, but in the atrium uh, it was kind of, not quite the scraps, but it would be a lower grade of food and there would usually be a lot of complaints uh, coming from the atrium area so it seems that here in Corinth that approach to the meal that regular people took that was also what the Christians were doing maybe they just weren't thinking about it but when they would get together and they would have you know people the, the church come to the house uh, the host without thinking about it would invite their close friends in the church those who were of the same Uh, Class, And they would sit in in that room, in the special room, the best room. And everyone else would sit in the other room. And so it was causing problems in the church. Most of us already know this. But once again, we need to remember that division by race, or cultural bias, or social class, or just the existence of cliques, is always contrary to the gospel. And so Paul has brought up here, and earlier on in the passage, he has brought up this problem of division in the church. Whatever is causing the division, whatever causing one group, what, no matter how big or small that group is, Oh. There we go. I had to make sure my lapel was on. No matter how big or small that group is, uh, you need to make sure that there's not, either intentionally or unintentionally, a uh, excluding others from your group. So today, we don't normally do that. First of all, most I don't know if most churches, I many churches are very much aware of, of the whole race thing, and that you know that's all over the news again today. And I do think that uh, most churches are, try to be very much aware that. Uh, we are to be all inclusive period most of the time we don't really treat people too differently uh, based on class Uh, there may be a few people uh, individually who have difficulty with those who are poor or richer and we kind of think bad about them and that's just a an individual thing they need to continue to mature and to grow but in the climate we live in now it, it should be very apparent that there are things that we are very willing to divide over And it comes back to things we've already brought up, and that is political issues and all the things surrounding COVID. Wherever you are on any aspect of that, people can become uh, very emotional with those things. It's not wrong to have strong opinions. It's not a sin. I have really strong opinions on some of that. Sometimes some of my opinions are so strong, I don't share them because I know people will get mad at me. And there's not need that. But the point is, is that when we come across individuals, whether we've engaged them in a conversation or not, when we discover that they are maybe on the opposite end, and maybe you're thinking, I just don't see how they can think that. You need to treat them with love and kindness and grace because there's no place for that in the church. Because remember that when when when, when we talk about the gospel and what the gospel does one of the visible evidences that the gospel of Christ is true is the way we treat each other. It's, it's, sometimes we think you know, that the evidence of the truth and the power of the gospel is the changed life. And it is. That's part of it. But there's even a stronger, greater manifestation and that's us together all of us together the way we treat each other we do need to make sure even go out of our way if we have to to make sure that we're extra kind and gracious to those that we know for a fact are on opposite ends of the spectrum we need to don't take this the wrong way but it's almost you know even if we have if we have visitors you almost want to show off that we get along really well with each other wherever we are in the spectrum for the cause of Christ. We need to make sure that there is, there is actual love uh, that we have for each other. And, and if we don't have that, we, we need to come before the Lord and begin to seek the Lord and ask Him to cleanse us of, of our sin and, and really to work on that. Because that's, that's very important. So again, we're not saying that you give up your convictions. We, we may need to address the way that we express our convictions. Uh, but, and, but we also need to make sure that we don't accept or reject people based on where they are on these issues. Now, most of the time, I know that what most of us won't do is we're not going to just like turn our back on each other. And so it's almost as if we kind of excuse ourselves because, well, I don't, I'm not really rejecting anybody. Well, okay, let's just remember when you look at that, you don't have to turn your back on someone to mistreat them. You, you can have an internal problem. You know, you're getting upset, or you're getting irritated with them. Uh, you kind of snub them, or you, or you, you tend to ignore them a little bit. You know, we just we need to make sure we check those things. And so here, well, so as Paul comes down on these individuals, he wants to make sure that uh, that that they're they're aware of what's happening and that it's wrong. In fact, if you would, let's jump ahead because this kind of frames what we're going to be looking at next week. Look at verses 27 and 28. When you look at verses 27 and 28 it says whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup so throughout most of my life what I've always heard and what I've actually always thought and what I've often taught is that when this passage is read the intent is for us to Um, begin a deep, soul-searching, introspection kind of attitude. Make our confession to Christ so that we will not sin against really what we would call the spiritual presence of Christ by being irreverent. Because when we we take communion, now again, remember, we, we believe this all the time. We believe Christ is here with us right now. So Christ is also with us. He's present with us spiritually when we partake of communion together and we need to remember that and so the idea then that is normally presented is that you need to examine your life make sure that you are dealing with your sin if you're holding a grudge against somebody you shouldn't partake of communion Uh, if you're living in sin uh, an unrepentant sin you should not be partaking you need to deal with those things and that would be a correct application but I do think when you go back and you look at this and look at the context I think what Paul really is stressing what he's already brought up twice and that here the drinking of the cup, the eating of the bread in an unworthy manner and being guilty of profaning the body of Christ may actually be intended that we are profaning the body of Christ, meaning the church. Christ is still offended by this, but the idea that we are against each other or there's this class warfare or whatever is going on, that, that that is what he's talking about. That's what he's dealing with. That's, that's what he wants them to look at uh, in their life. In other words, um, because of his experience on the Damascus Road and his understanding of the body of Christ as being uh, the church itself, which again consists of all individuals believer, of individual believers, uh, then again his body or the church is pictured by the bread of communion. So then, to sin against one, one another, or to sin against the believer, is to sin against Christ. That's what he's dealing with. When we've sinned against each other within the context of the church, when we have been, when we've snubbed each other, when we have become irritable with each other, when we have begun to allow feelings where I don't really want to talk to you, uh, or I'm having a bad attitude maybe towards you, maybe just internally because of what you think about COVID or what you think about certain government restrictions or what, whatever may happen to be, that's a problem with the Lord. He He does not want that. Uh, To be a part of who we are as individual believers or a part of this body of believers. And and we have to get that nailed down in our life as individual believers as well. So what happens then when we sin against each other in that way, we are guilty of sinning against the body of Christ and against the blood of the Lord. Because remember that Paul also made this clear over in Ephesians, that one of the aspects, again, is... uh, dealing with what sin has done. When we talk about the curse of sin we know that sin has separated us as individuals from God. And we know that we sin against God uh, when we're non-believers all the time. We know that as individual believers when we become believers we still struggle with sin and we, we seek to overcome those things. We want to be more moral. We want to live in obedience to what God has said. But we also need to remember that another aspect of the curse of sin is that man becomes divided against each other on many different levels. And one of the things that Christ's atonement accomplishes for us is not only that he makes us whole as individuals, he makes us whole as a body. That's why, again, it's the body of Christ we are to, to fit together in this way. He gives to us differing spiritual gifts so that we can minister to each other. You may have come across this uh, on the internet. Um, This kind of listing has been around for a long time where someone says you should just look up all the one another's in the scripture. And that's where you take that phrase, one another, and then look up all the, the verses in the New Testament that have that phrase in it. And, and what that kind of brings into your mind and kind of slams you really in the head is the importance of how we are with one another and the attitudes we are to have with one another and how we are to treat one another and that's very mu- much a part of the mind of God is, is that. And again, we've we've talked before about the fact that when we become believers it was never the intention of God that we that we live the Christian life alone. It goes back to Genesis when God said to Adam uh, it's not good for man to be alone. Again, that's not just a verse on marriage. He doesn't he doesn't expect us to live alone. He's created all of us incomplete. And we are completed by our life's partner, yes. But then we also become, I guess, maybe a bad way to put it, but we become more complete together. We know that we're stronger together. We're able to accomplish more together. And the idea here that Paul's already mentioned before, when he said to imitate me, the idea of reaching out to the world and... Declaring the gospel of Christ, we then become that living illustration, the the living manifestation of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So those then who despised a poor member, maybe by disregarding their need, were sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. These came to the Lord's Supper, which is a remembrance of Christ's work of unity and reconciliation with a trail of deeds that had produced disunity and alienation. And so again, if these individuals would examine themselves, they would see that they lacked God's approval in their behavior. And they should seek out the wrong brother, uh, wronged brother and ask his forgiveness. And only then could a true spirit of worship flourish. So if you look again at, at, the, uh, at the verses, let me just go through them quickly, beginning in verse 17. So again, Paul says, uh, I'm going to give you these instructions. He says, I don't commend you, because when you come together, it's not for better. It's actually for worse. All right? So this is not a neutral thing. Things are worse off. Then he says, in the first place, when they come together as a church, so again, it's a Christian gathering, there's divisions. He says, there's divisions among you. He says, and I believe it. And some think that when he says, I believe it in part, some think that he's kind of being sarcastic in a very negative way. uh, But he's letting them know that he's aware of what's going on. And so he says, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. That's a very difficult verse to understand as far as specifically what is he really getting at. It seems the main idea is that when there is trouble, uh, when trouble is manifested the character of the true believer is going to be seen right? out of that kind of rises the ones who are you know, the ones who don't get caught up in things you know, those are the individuals who have character, those are the ones who have that that true walk with the Lord and so he says maybe that, that's why this is happening but then he gets back to his point, he says this: when you come together he says it's not for the Lord's Supper and that's exactly why they were meeting but he says it's not what it is he says, because when you come together, each one goes ahead with his own meal. So again, you go to those special rooms. Now, the best room, right? in fact, let's just, we'll, we'll go ahead and use, let's just say it's J. Rowe and his family. We're at his house for this. So J. Rowe is sitting with his family and his friends, and we can see them there with their food. And they, they're served first, and they just start eating. And they're having a good time, and the rest of us are in the atrium, waiting for our scraps, so to speak. that's kind of the idea that's happening he he said this is what's going on he says one goes ahead with with another and therefore those in the atrium they're going hungry and then those of you in that special room you're you're, you're eating and you're getting drunk and he says you have your own houses to eat in now this has been such a problem in the church through the years that it was around uh, I think it was somewhere around 390 AD somewhere around there uh, one of the church councils kind of eliminated the meal from the church gathering and what we do today when we just have the, 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 the wine and, and the bread uh, that's kind of a result of that it was because believers were still having a difficult time with that, I'm not sure what all was going into when the edict was given uh, but that's kind of where that came from and it comes out of this passage because the, Paul was scolding them, so you have such a hard time with this, maybe you should just do this in your own home and that's why he asks this rhetorical question: Don't you have houses to eat in and houses to drink in? And then he then he throws this in. And again, Paul never throws in things just for the heck of it. He says, so do you despise the church of God?" And so that's what he, he's saying: Your behavior, you're showing that you despise. And it doesn't just say the church; it's the church of God. You could say you despise the body of Christ, which is despising Christ. So this is a, a very serious matter for Paul. And then, of course, he says, you have humiliated those who have nothing. He says, what, what will I say to you? He says, will I commend you in this? He says, no. Uh, I'm not going to do that. And that is why I do think then that he, when he begins in verse 23, which we'll look at next week, he says, for I receive from the Lord. The idea there is he wants to bring them back and says, this is what the Lord himself has said. He wants to remind remind them of what what they are to be thinking about uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to all of this. So again, the idea is, is for these individuals is to, is to look at the relationships they have with each other and examine themselves. So then, a true spirit of worship could flourish in that church, including when they participate together in having the Lord's Supper. And they were, to, they were, they were to, to come to God and confess their sin. Um, and if they, if they didn't, they were going to bring judgment upon themselves. So again, only by recognizing the unity of the body of the Lord and acting accordingly could they avoid bringing judgment on themselves. And of course the judgment, again we won't get into detail about it today, but he does get into it in verses 30 through 32. And it was a sickness and even death. So you can see how the Lord views this. This is not some small minor thing. How we present the Lord to the community at large is important to God. God doesn't need us to do that. He's commanded us to do that. And God has chosen to work through His people. And He desires to show the world His grace and His love and His power. uh, The gospel again of Christ in us there is to be such a uniqueness in our relationship with each other that the world has a hard time really being able to explain it. What we don't want, even though the world will try to... let's say say that we are as perfectly close as we could be. The world will try to explain it in psychological terms. What we want to be able to do is for people to recognize that whatever explanations arise that they're Maybe plausible, but they're, they're kind of empty. And what we want to be able to say is, to an individual, regardless of what they're they're viewing, when, when they're surprised at how close we are, is to be able to explain to them, once again, why are we this way? It's, it's because of the change that God has brought in my life. This change that God has brought into my life is not just... You know, because we sit and sing songs and chant a little bit. That's not what it's from. It's not because we feel extra spiritual or because we've all had an experience. It's because we've committed ourselves to the truth and to the person of Christ. That that it's not just, again, a, a list of doctrines we believe, though there is a list of doctrines we believe, but it's a list of doctrines we believe about a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And we believe that Christ has entered into our lives. It was Christ himself who has forgiven me the God-man who who took on flesh and came and lived among men and lived that perfect life and then willingly went to the cross where God then turned his back on him, God laid on him our sin and he then personally was punished for our sin sin. Uh, all that we deserved he bore until he died and then he was buried and then he rose again Giving us victory over death because of what that person did, and because he is the Son of God and he now lives forevermore, he has forgiven me. He has restored me to a right relationship with himself, with God himself. And that has brought about such a marvelous, fantastic change in my life. I cannot but help love others who are also created in the image of God. And so, yes, I love Sean. Sean looks different than I do. He's younger. He can move around real quick. I move around really slow. (laughs) Alright? He's black. I'm not. I love him like my brother. Because he is my brother. And people need to know that. I have more in common with Nepo. We're both big and like food. Uh, So... (laughs) But the point is, is people need to see that. But they need to know why. All right, it can't be, oh well, you know, that's just well, that's just how my mama raised me. To see people all the same. Don't say that. Your mama may have raised you that way. But that's not why you and I are that way. We're stealing glory from God. God has made me this way. Because left to myself, I might be nice, but my probably only half as nice. Alright? Because sin is real and it's destroyed everything in our lives. And so, again, the way we conduct ourselves and how we do things when we get together is important to God. They need to know that it's because of Christ. They need to see the reality of that. Let me just say this briefly and we'll be done. I mentioned to you about the presence of Christ in relation to the Lord's Supper. And there's been a lot of discussion through the centuries about when we participate in the Lord's Supper, in what way is Christ present? And there's been a lot of things that have been kind of thrown out through the ages. If you were raised in a Roman Catholic church, you would normally believe in what's called transubstantiation. And what that means is, is that the bread and the wine actually and literally turn into the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't happen, but that's, that's, what, they, that's what they teach. That's what they believe. And the idea is that Christ is in a sense re whenever the Mass is done. That's not what the scripture teaches. In fact, I don't see how it can be uh, if we just read through the narrative in the Gospels because Jesus hasn't even gone to the cross yet. And what does he say to the disciples? This is my body. It's purely symbolic because he's standing right there in front of them. Uh, But there are those who believe that that it's transubstantiation so they believe that Christ is present in that and, and so that there's all kinds of things that kind of come out of that. The Lutheran Church has held something similar, which is called consubstantiation, uh, and that is where the body of Christ is present in the elements, but it doesn't change the substance of the elements. So the idea is, even though the Catholic Church teaches that it turns into the blood and into the body, they believe that the bodily presence of Christ is in the elements, but they remain what they are, bread and wine. Uh, And then there's what's called the Zwinglian, which comes from a guy named Ulrich Zwingli. uh, And his view, which I believe is correct, and many believe is correct, is he held the Lord's Supper holds that Christ is not bodily present in the elements. And in fact, he is bodily absent because he is bodily in heaven. And so the elements then represent his presence, though they don't constitute his presence. In other words, we believe that Christ is with us. And he is with us in spirit. And that's a very real thing. But we don't believe that he is here bodily, because he's not here bodily. He is in heaven. And so the Zwinglian view does not deny the spiritual presence of Christ on earth. But again, it denies his presence as being identified in any special sense in that. What's interesting is that all the views of the Lord's Supper, though, do take for granted that Christ is in the world in some sense even though they do differ in defining the precise sense in which Christ is related to the Lord's Supper. But I do believe that the last view is in harmony with the complete revelation of Christ. So with this sobering thought, what we need to make sure that we do as a body of believers, and maybe even more so in the day and age in which we live in, is that we need to make a, or have a greater concerted effort to make sure that we without being phony, in an overt way love and care for each other the world needs to see that we have that for each other and that it's because of Christ and if that causes you concern if, if that if you're thinking I don't really want to do that or, or that makes you uncomfortable the problem we have is with what the Lord wants us to do the problem is, is us, it, it's not others the Lord already knows that some of us are going to more naturally get along better Uh, than we would with others but he's able to overcome all of that and he does overcome that because he changes our hearts and because he takes out the heart of stone and he gives me the heart of flesh and because as it says in Romans he pours his love into my heart I now know for a fact I have the capacity I have the capability of loving others as I love myself we are commanded to do what God has enabled us to do and so we need to make sure that that is happening. And we need to make sure that's happening not only when we partake of the Lord's Supper, but we need to make sure that that is happening on a, on a regular daily basis as believers. People need to see the body of Christ functioning as the body of Christ. And again, keep in mind that this is such a serious issue that not only that Paul then uh, commits several passages to this issue and brought it up several times, but also the Lord then directly intervened in the life of this church in disciplining them because of their inability or maybe we could say their refusal to get along and address these issues. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a new invention. It's an old thing. It goes back then to when Jesus was asked the question about what was the greatest commandment. And he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We need God's help to love our neighbor as ourself. And with God's help and God's grace, we can do that, and we will do that, and we should do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word. Father, we ask that you would give to us a very strong desire to want to live in obedience to what your word says. Help us, Father, to see the importance. Not just, Lord, because we then can say that we live in obedience. Help us to see the importance of following your commands for the sake of others. Help, Father, help us, Father, to make sure that we recognize that we are to imitate Paul, imitate Christ, in declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that what lends credibility to our witness is our obedience to your word. And that it's more than just the fact that we become moral but that we become loving, kind, and gracious to each other. Father, renew our hearts. Renew within us a great desire to love each other as we ought to. Help us, Father, to long to be with each other as believers. I know, Lord, that for many of us, because of having to stay away for various reasons, because of all the things going on with this virus, many believers have actually begun to feel the need to be together with believers. They've begun to sense the emptiness that is there and experience anew the joy of being with believers. Father, we pray that we would all would have that. Change our hearts, Father. We thank you so much again for not giving up on us. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.